Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Governed by God. I'm your host, Eric Leupold, and this podcast is the podcast formerly known as Two Guys in a Bible, with myself and Dylan Keniston. And to give you guys a quick update, uh, when Dylan moved recently, uh, our schedules also became a bit more hectic and conflicting, so he and I were unable to regularly get together, uh, even online, to do the Two Guys in a Bible podcast. So I talked to Dylan about it, and with his permission, uh, I went ahead and basically relaunched this podcast uh, with the new name, Governed by God. Uh, so uh, rest assured, though, that if you have signed up for the Two Guys in a Bible podcast and subscribed uh, to our Facebook page or to our, our, our podcast on uh, on uh, Apple or any other platform, uh, that uh, the old episodes will still be available. So we're not uh, deleting Two Guys in a Bible or anything that we've done in the past. Um, it's just that from now on, uh, you'll see the episodes come up as Governed by God, and the Facebook page name will change. And so I'm still working through some of the transition uh, phases here. Uh, right now we do have... Uh, I do have a new email address um, for this podcast. It is the GBG podcast. So that's uh, short for the Governed by God podcast at gmail.com. So the GBG podcast at gmail.com. But if you send emails to the old uh, two guys in a Bible dot podcast at gmail.com, I'll still be getting those. That email is still active. Um, so kind of got one foot uh, on both sides uh, right now. But I wanted to welcome you to uh, this new podcast. And my goal uh, with, this, uh, with this show is to focus in more on um, looking at a government, civics, uh, from a Christian perspective. Um, that's kind of a passion of mine. I always enjoy uh, reading about, learning about the government that God has established, uh, the or- uh, His ordaining of government, of human government, and how that has gone well in history and how it has gone badly. And, of course, what we can learn from Scripture. And, uh, most importantly today, as Christians, how should we approach matters of government, matters of civics? Um, I'm, this is not really uh, necessarily a political show. I'm not advocating for any particular party or candidate. Uh, there's plenty of those shows out there, and I'm certainly not going to be approaching things from a secular uh, worldview, uh, but really just looking at a, at a Christian perspective. And, and perhaps I will dive into some uh, current uh, political issues, current government issues, uh, especially uh, issues of tyranny uh, or things that might be approaching tyranny. Um, one of the motivating uh, inspirational factors behind this podcast uh, and why I titled it Governed by God is... Interestingly, a famous quote that was made by William Penn. Uh, I'm, I live in Pennsylvania, and I'm a big fan of Pennsylvania history. Uh, and William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania, uh, is, uh, said this. He said, if men will not be governed by God, they will be ruled by tyrants. And I just thought, wow, that's uh, not only is it a very profound and uh, beautiful statement, and of course true, uh, but I thought it was very catchy uh, to to reference to make a reference to that uh, by calling this show 
governed by God. So I hope that uh, this show will be a blessing to you. Uh, I don't know how often I'll be able to to produce episodes, how long they'll be. Uh, kind of playing it by ear, seeing how, how schedules pan out. But I at least want to do this once a month, certainly a lot more than that, um, God willing. So to kind of just ease ease things into it, start things off pretty simply, um, I just want to give a, a real brief overview of of government. And I wonder, I know I've sometimes uh, thought about these things and tried to figure out what is government. I mean, when when, when you hear that word, what, do, what comes to your mind? Um, it could be, you know, president of the United States, it could be Congress, it could be laws, it could be any number of things. But boil it down, ask yourself, at the end of the day, what does it mean to be governed? Um, and I think there's some helpful uh, definitions that we can come up with. Uh, one is that uh, it's simply the submission of one person to another. Uh, so, you know, in a very simple fashion, um, if a group of people uh, come together and they choose for themselves someone um, uh, to, to, to be, to govern them, uh, essentially what they're doing is they're asking that person uh, to be in charge in a, in a limited capacity. That person is being given authority to do something. Uh, maybe it's offer protection or you know, build something, uh, keep everyone safe, maybe even uh, provide food. But, but it is a, uh, a contract uh, where, where one person or a group of people agree to, uh, to submit to the decision-making and the leadership of, of someone else or another group of people, uh, and usually uh, to accomplish some goal that benefits all parties involved. Uh, and and to put it real simple, it's a way of bringing order out of chaos uh, or to prevent things from falling into chaos. Um, now, that's kind of a just a really broad uh, definition of government. And uh, uh, going to Scripture, we see that God has established four types of government. Um, now, I will say that there are other governments out there, but but these are the four, the four key, the four primary, the four essential, uh, the four that are ordained and therefore required. Um, other governments, you know, you could you could think of like a country club, um, something like the Boy Scouts or any kind of a fraternity even is a form of government. Huh? Uh, so any of these. Entities, these uh, human organizations, uh, they have structure and they have government, but there's only four that are actually um, given to us in Scripture. So the first is self-government, which kind of makes sense. I mean, we have to govern ourselves, and that really comes down to just the individual uh, has to has to have self-government. And then we have family government, mother, father, children. Uh, extended family, in-laws, things like that. Church government, of course, we have elders, deacons, body of Christ in the local church uh, as uh, as structured by God. And then we have the civil government or the state, which could take any number of different forms. Um, 
And that can be on multiple levels. You can have a, a local, state, federal, world, uh, empire. Uh, it could be any number of things. But ultimately, of the four, uh, one of them is individual. That's the self-government. And the three of them are corporate, involving, obviously, more than one person. Now, self-government. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of us forget that that is a form of government, and it's the first and foremost. Uh, and it can be summarized really in the concept of self-control. And here's a uh, uh, just one text of scripture that is particularly helpful about describing this. It's from uh, Titus chapter two, uh, verses eleven through twelve. And here's what it says: For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So, um, and that's just one passage. And there's others, uh, for those of you familiar with the fruits of the Spirit, self-control is one of them, one of the nine. And really, it just comes down to being able to govern yourself to order yourself, and to prevent yourself from falling into chaos. Or if you do fall into chaos, you can survive, and you can come out alive, maybe stronger. Uh, it involves controlling your body, okay? So kind of what you eat, perhaps, you know, sleeping, exercise, um, what you do with your limbs, um, control of emotions, you know, does, you know, your anger, jealousy, impatience. It could be any number of emotions that you have to control. Your mind, the things that you think about, the things that, that you dwell on uh, when your mind begins to wander. Um, the things you learn, uh, the things you read, the things that you ingest. So aside from eating, but watching and listening, everything that comes in uh, to your body and into your mind, uh, control of your speech. So what comes out of your, of your tongue, of your mouth, um, going along with your actions as well, how you treat others, how you interact with the world around you. Now, it's interesting. This is ultimately a a spiritual matter. So, First Timothy, chapter three, verses four and five talks about it this way. And this is uh, with regards to who is eligible to becoming an elder in the church, so a, a leader in a government of the church. And here's what, here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He, the elder in question, must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage their own household, household, how will he care for God's church? Okay. Uh, and then earlier in that same chapter, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 2, at the beginning it says, an overseer or an elder must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, um, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not, a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. So, we see a person here who has to have control of his passions, uh, his uh, expenditures, what he eats, what he drinks, uh, emotions, how he treats other people, 
and and certainly he has to be able to manage his household. So if a person uh, really can't govern themselves, they should they have no business uh, governing anybody else. Um, and if a person can't govern or lead their household, their closest uh, inner circle uh, of their life, they have no business expanding that and um, becoming a leader in the church. Um, we also have uh, the real issue of sin, and that's kind of what hinders or completely prohibits, really, self-control. Um, in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus tells the Pharisees that uh, whoever sins is a slave to sin, and uh, only the Son can set a person free. Um, and and that's, that's key to keep in mind here when we're talking about government, because uh, humans naturally naturally enslaved to sin, naturally sinful, uh, spiritually dead. Um, they uh, uh, they really cannot fully or completely or uh, correctly govern themselves apart from God's grace. Um, certainly, there are unbelievers that do. The, a person can be disciplined. A non-Christian can certainly be disciplined, whether it's exercise, diet, and there are people who are obsessive over these things, and they do have self-control in certain areas of their life. Now, do they have self-control uh, in kind of like a, in totality throughout all of their life? Um, I would argue, apart from God's grace, that ultimately is not going to happen. I mean, you can you can kind of work your way, you know, you can pedal harder, you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps to a point, but ultimately, if we're sinners, if we're not saved by grace through faith in Christ, then we're slaves to our sin. And and slaves cannot be free and cannot ultimately govern themselves. They will be uh, governed by their sin. Uh, and of course, the, the Lord of sin, Satan himself. Uh, but thankfully, there is hope there that God, uh, through Christ, can uh, set us free. And therefore, we can begin to exercise self-control, which is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of something else. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, true self-control. So even if someone has temporary, what appears to be self-control, very disciplined, um, it's not the fruit of the Spirit unless they have the Spirit. So that's just something to keep in mind. Now we move on from there to family government. And that we see is instituted back in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, I mean, God formed Adam and Eve. Uh, A man will leave his father and mother and be cloven to his wife. So you see this picture of family, of God telling Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to multiply, to uh, fill the earth, and subdue it. Uh, So there's family government. where and, And it's interesting that God is the one who instituted that. He brought Eve, the first the first wife, the first uh, uh, mother, to Adam to be his wife. And God blessed that marriage. And so marriage is a covenant, and it's ordained by God, and it pre-exists the institution of other governments, specifically the civil government or uh, the state government. So, now, what what is the purpose of the family government? Well, 
certainly you have uh, the teaching of children, parents, uh, family, is, uh, is the primary uh, focus on health, education, and welfare. Uh, you have Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God tells the people of Israel that, uh, that they are to teach all the things that he commanded them to their children. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So that's what we see here is a picture of uh, throughout the day, every activity of life is to involve uh, parents explaining, guiding, discipling, teaching their children about their creator, about their God. Um, and you also, so that really kind of encapsulates education, but you also have in First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, now in that section, Paul is talking about uh, the widows and the church taking care of widows who are enrolled uh, on, the, uh, on the list of widows. Uh, but he does say this, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, uh, it, you know, Paul is trying to point out that there is a place for the church to help out uh, with the physical needs of, of people who, who truly need help. Um, but he makes it very clear that family is first. The family is the primary responsibility of providing for the welfare and the health care and the financial support of each other. Okay, the family is not to abdicate that or to punt that or, or to think that the church will handle it and that they don't have to do, do that. So um, that's kind of the domain of family. And now the family is also designed by God as the foundation for society. I mean, we already saw that it involves passing the faith onto the next generation, okay? And it but it's the it's the place where future individuals learn to become self-governed. All right? So, children are not able to govern themselves at first. They don't have control of their body pretty clearly. <laughs> they don't control their emotions. Uh, they don't really control their mind. I mean, uh, they're not they're not as discerning or self-controlled. You know, you put them in front of a TV and they will they will just sit there forever and, you know, or, or they'll just do something forever. They won't have a concept of time or of putting things in balance or of exercising that self-control of denying themselves some immediate pleasure. They don't control their speech. They have to learn to have that filter. Uh, obviously, young kids can say very embarrassing and funny things because everything that they think comes out of their mouth. So there's no self-control yet, uh, but that has to be taught. And then control of their actions. Um, you don't have to teach a child to be selfish or to, to lie. You have to teach them to share and to... Uh, care for others to, to, to do the right thing, do their chores, brush their teeth, 
take care of their body, eat healthy food, all, all things like that. So uh, uh, that's one of the primary purposes of the family is to prepare individuals to become self-governed so that when they, when they grow up and when they leave, they actually can govern themselves. And that's going to be important, especially when we talk about the next form of government, which is civil government. So civil government, we see first instituted in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, when God institutes capital punishment. So in Genesis 9, he says to Noah, uh, and for your lifeblood, I will require reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Um, so now we have the death penalty uh, instituted. And we see more details of the government. In Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2. The government is ordained by God to punish evil, to praise the good. In fact, Romans chapter 13 is probably the most explicit uh, definition of government. Um, in verses 1 through 7, talking about, it talks about uh, the government is uh, God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the evildoer. Um, so, now why did God not institute the civil government right away? Well, it seems, you know, with Adam and Eve in the first couple, first chapters of, of Scripture, the population of the world was so small. Uh, most of it was just a myriad of families, okay? It was all under family government and self-government. Now, the thing is, though, is that when... You get a large number of families together. Um, there needs to be something higher, something above that to give structure and to bring order out of chaos between multiple families. And that's where civil government comes into play. The increase in families necessitates the in existence of a civil government. And it brings order and stability between multiple families that are living in the same area. Now, the thing is, though, is that as we get further away from the individual, things do get a little bit more, I guess, less intimate and more cold. It seems cold, right? So, you know, the person, the individual who has self-government, I mean, individuals know themselves better than their family knows them, right? They know their own heart, um, their own emotions. They're going through these things every day. Now, family can get to know each other pretty well, but there's still a limit there. Your parents aren't living in the skin of their children. They're not experiencing life as their children experience it. So there's going to be a little bit of a distance there that families have to work through and have to communicate. But they can do that because it's a very intimate, personal, very long-term setting. But the civil government can't do that. I mean, you're talking about multiple families and extended families, large groups of people. And there's just simply not enough time in the day. And the people who are in charge are not omniscient. They simply cannot interact with each person on an individual level. And in fact, you have hints of this, this problem in the book of Exodus, where 
Moses is being the judge over all the people. And his his father-in-law, Jethro, tells him that this is that what he's doing is silly. The fact that Moses is dealing with every single person's problems and all the issues that come about there. Um, and so the thing is that Jethro says, what is it that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Okay. And then Moses responds by saying, because the people come to me to inquire about God. Oh, okay. Well, and he says, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And Moses' father-in-law says this. He says, what you are doing is not good. You and the people will, with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Moreover, look for able men from all the people who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So Jethro says, look, you got to divide it up. You need a smaller group of ten with a person over them then groups of fifties, then hundreds, then thousands, and then you. And this kind of federalist, this pyramid system will function better. And that's just the necessity for when the population becomes so large, but it becomes more distant. Because of that system, Moses is not going to be able to be as intimate and friendly and personable with every single Israelite as he previously was. But the thing was, it was ruining them. People were spending all day just waiting in line to talk to Moses. And Moses had zero break, not not any time at all. And all that's going to do is just cause more problems, more chaos, uh, more angst uh, amongst the people. So the purpose of civil government is to bring order and stability, uh, to punish evil and praise the good. Now, this is important to understand that the primary focus of the government is security and justice. It's not health, welfare, and education. That that domain was given to the family. It's not to say that these domains don't overlap. They do. Uh, if, you, if you view all of them in cir- as circles of a Venn diagram, you'll see that, you know, self-government ties into the family. Family interacts and trains people to be self-governed, and if if people aren't able to govern themselves, the family usually gets involved. Then you have the civil government, where clearly uh, if the family fails to teach a child to be self-governed, when the child grows up and becomes a criminal, that's when the civil government has to get involved. Um, and the civil government can also get involved in the family in some cases, particularly when the family falls apart maybe due to war or some kind of criminal activity, uh, the parents are killed, maybe a car accident, and now the children have no one. And if there's no family at all to help with the children, that's when they would basically become wards of the state. So there's going to be a little bit of overlap, but it doesn't deny the fact that there's still a primary focus for each group. Now, the last form of government that was instituted by God is the church government. And We see this in Matthew 28, where Jesus commands his disciples, 
All authority in heaven has been given to me, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Okay? And then Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You certainly have Matthew 18, with regards to church government. If someone sins against you, you go to that person. If they don't repent or make it right, bring two or three witnesses with you. If it doesn't work, go tell it to the church. And, and if it doesn't work, treat them as an unbeliever. So you have this progression there with regards to discipline within the church. But there's, there's order. There's, there's government there. There was a pre-existence shadow. Uh, the Old Covenant, there was a shadow of the church that we see in the nation of Israel and the priest, the priesthood, and the people. But with the coming of Christ and now pouring the Holy Spirit, the church is a new spiritual family. Okay, and that's why they call themselves brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know, they, could, they can use those uh, familial terms because it's a new family. Okay, it's a spiritual family united by the bonds of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ. Not physical blood of other, you know, marriages and, and, and just people who are related to you and not by, not by legal means, by marriage. This language is used throughout all of Scripture, but just to give an example, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he says, For through him, Christ, we, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So you get this phrase of the household of God and being a member of that. And so the church is the family of God with Christ as the elder brother. This government, the, the church government, is really the only one well, it's, it's going to outlast the state and the family. Uh, in the eternal state, in the new heavens and new earth, people will not marry or be given into marriage. Okay, they'll be like the angels in that regard. The civil government will no longer be needed and won't exist, but the church will exist. The church is eternal. Okay, it's the body of Christ. It's the people that belong to God who will have everlasting life. Now, the church's primary focus is on discipling teaching, and baptizing. We see this in Matthew 28. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them. Okay, so the church also, it disciples, right? It teaches and disciples. Well, who does it, who does it do that for? Well, it does it for all the groups. It does it for individuals, for families, and for the government, civil government. The church preaches the gospel to individuals, teaching them self-control, calling them to repent, trust in Christ, and be set free from their sins. So there you have the self-government piece being proclaimed and taught by the church. Then you have the church equipping parents and assisting them in teaching. I mean, Paul, in multiple letters, Ephesians chapter 6, Colossians chapter 3, gives guidance to parents and to children. Uh, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Uh, children, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The family teaches, but so does the church. The church comes alongside and helps the family to do that. And, and, and equips fathers and mothers to teach their children, particularly teach them about God. And the church does some of the teaching itself, of course. But the family is still the primary. 
The church also provides welfare when the family fails. Now, I mentioned before, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul gives instructions regarding the taking care of widows. But he's pretty clear about the limits on this. He says, 1 Timothy 5.9, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So, And then it goes on. Uh, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman, verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So again, you see this priority of family is the primary for welfare and health and education. And the church is only supposed to step in when the family is unable to do it. This is this is uh, how the church is to interact with all of the other three forms of government. Um, it provides wisdom for civil governments on how to do their job, how to bear the sword. Not only are there examples in the Old Testament of this, whether it's Daniel uh, talking to Nebuchadnezzar, telling him to pursue righteousness. You have John the Baptist telling King Herod that he shouldn't be married to his brother's wife. Uh, but you also have in Acts chapter 24, uh, verse 25, where Paul has been already been arrested. And he's brought before the governor. And here's what happens. It says this in verse 24 of chapter 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he, Paul, reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. So, you know, Paul and Felix having this conversation, and Paul is trying to talk to him about self-government, which is interesting, self-control um, and righteousness. And certainly this would have had much, much of an impact on on Felix's role as a governor. Okay, so uh, Paul had no problem explaining uh, these things to even civil magistrates and ultimately guiding them on what it means to have self-control and to uh, and to administer justice and to to bear righteousness. And so that is just a brief overview of all the four the four primary spheres of government. And again, they they kind of overlap there, but there is an order to it, I would say. For instance, the civil government should really not get involved uh, with the individual unless the family can't do it. And let me, so, for example, if, if if one of my children does something particularly bad, I mean, it has to be particularly heinous, like murder. You know, like I'm I'm, I'm talking like a a child under the age of ten, but it would have to be something like that for the police to get involved. Aside from that, for the most part, anything they do wrong is going to have to be dealt with by myself and my wife. 
So if they break something, hurt someone, steal something, it really falls upon me and the family to deal with that situation and to not let it continue to get worse so that it becomes a problem for the government to have to deal with. So you do see this this transition. And and in some ways, uh, the church can help with that too. If, um, you know, if it could be any number of things. It could be, it could be drug, like drug use or selling drugs or whatever the case may be. If someone is in the church and finds themselves in, in trouble, you know, I can see a situation where the church leadership would go to the governing authorities and, and basically say, let this person be under our care. We'll hold them accountable. We'll get them into a program. Uh, we're going to meet with them regularly. You know, please show mercy on this individual because we are getting involved. And so there's a, there's a sense in which the church in the exercise of discipline and teaching can be an alternative to the civil government just wielding the sword, uh, punishing people, fining them, throwing them in prison, whatever the case may be. So they can help each other. It's predominantly the role of the church to do the helping of the others. Uh, they do interact with each other. But when one sphere breaks down, that's when chaos enters. And it becomes a very bad situation. So, like I mentioned before, if a person lacks self-control, the family will have to step in and correct them. But if the family fails to do that, eventually that person that has no self-control, that kid, is going to become an adult and is going to end up doing something that the state's going to have to get involved in. Whether it's stealing, murder, you know, sexual assault. It could be, it could be any number of things. And we don't want to get to that point. And that's the whole idea. But if, if things do get that bad... You get chaos. This is really what happens. And at the same time, if the family and the church fail to teach their children, guess who's going to do that role? The state will. The government will come in and have to teach. Someone's going to teach the children, okay? If it's not going to be the parents and if it's not going to be the church, it will be someone else and more than likely it will be the state that teaches the children and educates the next generation. The problem that happens though with all of this is that you do get an encroachment that can be both positive and negative. And what I mean by that is it's a two-lane road here. So the government can sometimes get too involved and purposely encroach itself into the business of the church and the individual and the family, okay? But at the same time, if one of the other groups abdicates their position, fails to do their job, and doesn't administer their sphere well, well, then someone will have to step in. The vacuum will have to be filled um, by somebody. So it's usually a both and. Yes, the government has a tendency to overreach itself and expand its own powers, but it makes it worse when, let's say, the family breaks down and the family falls apart and doesn't do its job well, then someone will have to step in and do it. And it's more than likely going to be the government. Now, there's plenty of examples of what happens when each sphere breaks down. I mean, we already saw when there's a lack of self-government, you end up with serial killers, serial rapists, horrible individuals, very troubled individuals, no doubt. But they have no self-control. They were not taught. And it leads to pure chaos and destruction. When the family falls apart, you end up in a very 
dangerous place, whether you end up in some kind of a cult situation, some, some of the more radical religious cults don't have marriage, or they, they got rid of marriage, or there is no such thing as the family. You also have instances uh, where there's no family, you have uh, kind of a dystopian state. Uh, just, just think about the, the novels 1984 or Brave New World, The Giver, one of a more recent one where the family's been abolished and the state basically runs everything. There is no mother, there is no father, there is no familial bonds there. And then uh, in the absence of the church, I would say is probably the worst of all because without the church, without the light of the gospel, you have darkness. No guidance, no moral compass. There's no one to guide the self, the, the, the individual, to call them to repentance. There's no guide to the family. There's no word of God being proclaimed. There's no guide to the, to the government, civil government. So what you end up is basically kind of what happened in the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I mean, you get anarchy, you get tyranny. The government does whatever it feels is right in the moment. Families do whatever they feel is right. You know, it could be just selfishness, let the children do what they want, be heavy-handed. Individuals just indulge in their own sinful desires. I mean, it's a bad situation, but probably the worst, the worst kind. Um, and then, of course, if you have no civil government, you end up with groups of families. I mean, you could end up with gangs and, and other, you know, quasi-governments running around. But you could also end up with very large mafia-style families. You know, the family, the godfather, that person is in charge of an entire region. You know, Hatfields, McCoys, the families are, are feuding with each other, killing each other, um, because there is no civil government at all. So it just comes down to families just having at each other. Uh, over whatever disagreements they have. So this is just, you know, I'm just trying to here give a, a, a brief rundown of these four governments because we're going to look more into them in the future and how they interact with each other and where things break down, how they break down, and also what we're seeing in our own culture today. I namely speak of Western culture, uh, American society, and examples of, of these things happening. So, But as Christians, it's really important for us to get a firm grasp, understanding of, of each of the primary roles of the governments, where they interact with each other, where they don't, um, and where they overstep their bounds. So uh, again, I hope this was a, a useful for you, a blessing to you. Uh, maybe you've heard these things before, uh, but we'll definitely be going into more detail in the future. So again, please... Uh, don't hesitate to email me at the GBG podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go on Facebook. Uh, the Two Guys in a Bible page has, has been changed to uh, Governed by God. So you can find me uh, there on Facebook. And there's other avenues that, that I'm going to be setting up here uh, shortly. But uh, thank you for, for tuning in and for listening. And uh, until next time, take care and God bless.